0: This is uh, Advanced Community Studies. Uh, we're doing something a little, a little off from our usual episode-by-episode episode model, uh, because we are lucky enough to have uh, one of the producers of Community, and uh, also one of the producers of Scrubs, which I'm sure we're going to talk about as well. Uh, welcome to the show, Neil Goldman. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so let's, um, I suppose, start at the very beginning, as the song goes. Uh, how did you come to be involved with uh, Community?
1: Our community was, um, it was a meeting simply with Garrett McDonovan, my writing partner myself, and Dan, us, um, who, we had, who we did not know prior to that. I think we were actually invited to the original table read for the pilot. Um, so we briefly met Dan there afterwards because we had a quick rewrite session. It was a, it was a really, really good pilot. Um, uh, the the pilot that's on air, I think, was very similar to what we read at the table, and that's not always the case. Sometimes pilots have a long journey from the first table read to actually getting the show in the can. But it was a sort of came out fully formed from Dan. So it was a it was a quick and easy punch up uh, sessions. Where we briefly met Dan, and then once the show was shot and NBC uh, was looking to pick it up, they were looking to pair Dan up up rather with. Um, some more experience, quote unquote, experienced, quote-unquote, uh, experienced showrunner types or TV writer types. Dan, having uh, come to this really with no staff writer experience, he had plenty of writing experience and movies and stuff, but he hadn't been on the television staff and wasn't too, um, he was a very, very, very quick learner, but um, you know, when, in those types of situations, the network and studio like to have the uh, experienced people there as well to sort of you know, help point the, the creator in the right direction and, and guide them or her and um, be there as sort of, you know, backup and support. And that's how we, uh, we loved the pilot when we saw it. Um, and we really enjoyed our, I think our first meeting with Dan, if I understand, usually these meetings are 20 minutes, half hour. Our, our first meeting with Dan was two and a half hours. Um, uh, and it could have probably gone longer had this, the, the lot not, start shutting down just because we were were enjoying shooting this shit about, about lots of things and and writing and the show and going character by character. And I think he, he sort of took us on recommendation on on blind faith from Sony and we're, uh, and from NBC and we were very happy he did. We were coming off of, um, some having had some executive producer, um, experience, show running experience on scrubs and, um, uh, he was, you know, he sort of recognized also and wanted someone there to um, who, who knew how this this game was played um, week in week out, and uh, it was a great partnership for three years. Awesome.
0: Yeah, uh, so you are on uh, the first three seasons of Community, um, and you you got to see the show become this bananas thing that it would um become and i um not a professional interviewer so i'm wondering like what was it like to see these like processes uh taking place the like story pitches getting weirder and weirder and weirder uh as as the show went along
1: it was it was really interesting and cool and um the way the show evolved was to some degree, a very large degree, just a product of what Dan's vision for the show was. But Dan's vision, I think, also evolved even over the course of the first season. Um, you know, Dan set a very high standard from the start as far as uh, what he wanted these episodes to be. Um, uh, it, slowly, it, it quickly went from just like we got to knock it out of the park with these episodes in terms of the stories we tell, you know, having them be about something, having having them be very character centric at the same time, sort of maintaining his comedic voice. But um, uh, then it evolved very quickly into like literally wanting to uh, sort of the, the ambition being no less than reinventing the wheel every episode, <laughs> 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 um, if not the story wheel um, or the story circle which I'm sure you guys have heard about. Um, But, you know, I think some of it was just also realizing like our plan from the beginning was very specific. When we had our first story of writers meeting with Dan, we decided three of us really decided Garrett, Dan and I first six episodes would be about with Jeff at the center of each episode, but to pair be very meticulous about pairing Jeff off in an a story with a different member of that study group in the first six episodes. And if you notice first six, we really do go down the list. Abed, Shirley gets one, Brady gets one the idea there was while, we, while it was important for Jeff to be front and center because he was the more than anybody the fish out of water, um, we at the same time tell a story that was about Jeff but was also more specifically about Jeff's relationship with somebody else that shed light on another character because you're, you're so limited in a pilot episode and one of the things that I remember the critics when, when they weren't sure what the show was would level against the show was off that pilot episode was they were just sort of leveling you know accusations that it was a little not accusations that's a wrong word but like their criticism their critics after all that maybe the characters around the table were a little stereotypical um, uh, in, the, in the way they were they were painted um, and again that's really more about the fact that you only have so much time in 20 minutes to establish everybody so Dan was very adamant in the first six episodes about making sure we understood that those characters were all three-dimensional people that um, he want. He was interested in sort of. We were all interested in sort of subverting those, using those stereotypes to surprise people. Like people would have certain expectations because of those stereotypes or those archetypes is a better word, right? Archetypes for certain characters, and let's let's sort of try to uh, pull the rug out in terms of people's expectations early on. And then after those first six, we were still finding our our legs. Uh, but we're, what we were also finding, as I recall, was that it was hard to you know you need you need stakes in in an episode of television to make people care. It's such a networking note uh networky note word. Like what are the stakes of the episode? We would make fun of network execs all the time for asking about the stakes. But even there in the writer's room, you're like, the stories have to be about something, you have to care. And we were finding it a little hard to make people care because we didn't care about what uh, about for instance what grades these characters got from their professors like nothing about <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> the, the tricky part about being sent in a community college is that community college well it may be more of the quote-unquote real world than than Ivy League universities or what have you um, it's still you're still in a, in a bubble these characters are in school um, and so aside from the uh, student-teacher relationships um uh, obviously we were more interested in the interpersonal relationships between our characters but even there it was like sometimes a little hard to come by what was interesting and compelling about a show set in a community college and that is why I, I, that, it's always been sort of my theory that's partially why um, we started getting bigger and wilder because we sort of said to hell with necessarily painting this place as a super realistic you know community college Let's, as long as the characters and their relationships remain grounded and remain real, and the emotions remain real and grounded, it gave us license, we found, to get weirder with sort of the more surface details of the school and have zombies floating around and have, um, you know, a paintball uh, 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 contests get totally out of control. And um, certainly, certain characters being in the show helped us. Op-ed, for instance, being such a pop culture aficionado, made those type of of, of creative choices seem organic, where may, maybe otherwise they would not have. But Dan was also very smart because he knew that if he did a paintball episode, it couldn't just be feel like a, it couldn't feel like um, a sketch. It couldn't feel like, in other words, when you're doing a parody, and oftentimes we veered into parody, like the Goodfellas episode. Remember, we were parodying mob movies with Chicken fingers. Yeah, sure. When you do parody, you run the risk of like people going, oh, okay, I get the joke, but, but so what? Like, what are you telling me about? What yeah. real story are you telling within the parody to make us care and make us stay tuned, even for those 20 minutes? And so a lot, a lot of time was spent. In a weird way, the harder part was not coming up. With, I'm sorry if I'm all over the map, guys. It's just sort of consciousness. <laughs> Let it go. But the, hard, <laughs> the harder part, and the part that Dan was so good at, and the writing staff was so good. There was a great writing staff, top to bottom, was figuring out ways. Sometimes if we started with the with the high concept, we started with, "Hey, wouldn't it be funny if Abed became uh, a uh, mob boss for the, this chicken finger, you know, uh, crime syndicate at school?" It was always like, "Okay, well, that's funny, and that's fun, and we know all the funny, all the jokes that come along with it." But how do you now the hard part? Really was figuring out how to how to tether it, and what remember that became about Jeff and Abed's sort of the power dynamics within the study group being right. shifted and being put on the other foot. and until we that that that's an example of an episode that I will say evolved a lot from the table read to when we shot it five days later because it had a whole other there was a whole other element in there. I'll try to see if I can find the table draft and shoot it to you guys if you're you're interested. But um, there's a whole other storyline in there involving Troy. And I can't remember what, but it was sort of like muddying. It was getting in the way of what the episode wanted to be, which is about this Jeff Abed power struggle within the group. Um, And so, you know, we were very proud of all those episodes. They were very labor intensive, both from a writing standpoint. We used to call them concept episodes, the paintballs. The Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, the Remedial Chaos theories, those were like they really like, those were the nights that Dan was just like pulling all nighters and and, uh, and making sure everybody sort of you know at the same time not settling for for anything less than uh, the what he felt you know maximum reaching the maximum potential of each episode. And um, those are the ones certainly that people seem to talk a, a lot most about and i think really at the end you know put us on the map yeah sure i'll stop talking so you guys can talk but um <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. they've
0: heard us talk enough the people that listen to this show they want to like you're you actually did the thing so
1: you're the breath of fresh air want, from, from,
2: right? yeah.
1: from our from our Which fucking nonsense when yeah. shut up We're <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want you guys to have to have a two and a half hour meeting with me. But um, no, I mean the reality is like so, I mean, you, you've talked to a number of writers I know and, and other podcasts have, and we could go on and on because I've often said like you could do a separate like you know like book or pamphlet anyway, thick <laughs> pamphlet about just the way some of these episodes were made and how they evolved and and how crazy it was. You know, like the zombie episode taking us. I mean, probably where normally it takes about a week to break a story in a room to come up with the story and the outline, maybe two weeks on a show like community. That was, that was a high level of difficulty. That took about eight weeks, I think. Wow. um, To to figure out, because we, 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 we outlined it and it wasn't working. We rewrote it, we rewrote it and then we shot it and it still wasn't working. We rewrote some more of it and had to go in there and reshoot a bunch of it. Um, I've got a call sheet for, remember the episode with the fake clip show episode with the fake memories. I forget what it's called. Paradigms of human. I think it's paradigms of human memory. Maybe. You know, those those were all obviously clips that we had to, they weren't clips. They were things we had to go around and shoot. And um, I have a call sheet somewhere that says day six of five on that one. (laughs) Uh, Because, and then the other thing about that one was, it took six days when normally you're budgeted for five to go to go all around town because we had to leave the lot to get a lot of those scenes shot. But not only that, but once it came in and once we edited it together, it was four minutes short, which is why it has that really weird flash animation <laughs> at, at the end of it that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. What <laughs> would have had something to do with it? I can't remember, Justin, but yeah. Um, it was literally because oh shit you have to deliver a show at least 20 minutes and 20 seconds or whatever it is and here we are we spent way much more way more money than we were supposed to be making that we, we could not hand it to nbc and go here's 17 minutes of shit <laughs> the solution there was just to, to kind of come up with a little self-contained weird uh animated i don't know what it was so you know it was it was uh, as a writer it was really amazing place to be because we were just really making sure that we were or at least trying at dan's you know following dan's lead to to, do, to tell stories in ways they haven't been told and do things we haven't seen on television before yeah uh, and it's amazing that that we well i left when dan left after year three and i wasn't able to come back uh i was working on something else uh um by then uh but um six seasons of it, you know, or whatever you want would say, but technically six seasons, right. Of, of a show that should have been six and out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. Just how, how, not, not based on how the quality, but, but, you know, because of of how, of how I think of how good it came out and how specific it was. I remember we were shocked when we went to comic con and saw that reception. Uh, that I got after after season 1 because we were just making the show and it wasn't doing great numbers but people were out there it turns out people were out there watching it and the people the people that were watching it were really watching it like you guys yeah we were very uh, we're very appreciative of that
2: of course and you yeah, guys got this
3: crazy resurgence with Netflix picking it up and a bunch of people who somehow hadn't discovered the show like or just discovering it
1: yeah i mean it's it was another yeah there's this whole other wave of of people for some reason it's always been available on hulu yeah (laughs) exactly but something about netflix and and you know and and like look it it was on hulu forever so so netflix netflix it was being new to netflix they went out and promoted it made a little bit of a splash which i think was part of it um there was no real reason for hulu to do so having had the show for six years right Um, and you'll, you'll, you guys will start seeing it, I think, pop up um, other places too. But yeah, um, it, 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 it has this whole other uh, life now, which is just which is huge, right? Most of these podcasts have popped up really in the, um, in the wake of that, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Right. I certainly think there are, certainly are...
3: while we got started.
1: Did exactly. Not, I think there are seriously
3: it?
0: like 15 podcasts covering community right now. And that's not even like an exaggerated number. <laughs>
1: did you guys find it on netflix or
3: you no uh, i started watching it in 2010 i was late i didn't catch it when it was on i mean i guess i could have caught it when it was on air because it was what 2008 was or 2010 was before
0: you were like end of season one beginning of season two i think yes yeah. i think it's 2010
3: oh it was 2014 then yep it wasn't after high school it was after college 2014
0: oh,
1: okay. I was about to um, say you're only eight years old back then so
0: yeah. <laughs> right so, i was a baby but it was my yep. favorite show
1: it was my
3: favorite um, yeah i started in 2014 <laughs> so i had like the yahoo season uh to wait out for Got it. um so you i caught it on
1: well, not everybody certainly not by 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 any means did everybody find it when it was on the first go round um and who knew if it wasn't for streaming If it wasn't for the fact that, for whatever reason, this was a show that always did well on Hulu, Um, you know, because it was sort of, I don't know, just sort of. I guess it was the the group that it appealed to were knew how to knew how to even at that when it was sort of beginning streaming, they knew how to do it. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) They were the young
3: tech savvy people. Yeah the nerds right. exactly
0: <laughs> yeah a bunch of dorks yeah i was uh i was a i was a day one watcher i just remember being oh and i'm going to you know out myself as a child but i was like junior year of high school when when community was kicking up and i remember just seeing those ads for like Joel McHale describing the Greendale water fountains. And there were those weird ads of like him and Chevy going back and forth, uh, just like making fun of each other for 30 solid seconds. Uh, and I convinced my girlfriend's family at the time, like we all need to watch this, <laughs> like everyone. And I, I got them very into uh, community season one. That's
2: great.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, one of the things about, I remember there were also, there were critics being critics. There were people who said, like some of the gimmicks or or what they call gimmicks, you know, meaning like paintball or the structural gimmicks, like the, uh, I I guess devices is a better word. The fact that we used like nonlinear storytelling and whatever, they found it distancing. They found it like hard to sort of plug into the characters because maybe they felt the show was kind of like saying, look at me, look at me. It was being meta, right? A lot being Mm self-referential. I think um, for, for, the, the NBC audience at the time might have been a little hard for them to, to get it took a little work to watch the show and to be able to appreciate all that and and uh, and and not have it be a distraction uh, the fact that it was trying to do something different but um, no, we were grateful for the people that were there from day one and uh, uh, because they for sure kept it on I mean it's again the fact that there were a hundred and eight some lot of episodes of the show is, is amazing. Um, and then, and then the fans finding it now, uh, breathing new life into it is uh, also just huge. Um, and bodes well for maybe seeing it in some form again in the future. Yeah. did that movie stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, you know, there's a, there's anything can happen for sure more than ever now. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would, I'm optimistic. I have no news on that front, or any secret to share, other than like any other fan right now. I'm rooting
0: for it. You could have yeah. shot our numbers through the roof right there, man. If we if we broke this story somehow, maybe
1: a- if I could. I think I have to. Leave. <laughs> I have to leave that to to, to Chevy. No, I would have to leave that to
0: Dan. <laughs> yeah, Chevy's gonna break it on cameo. Uh, yeah. One of his one of his two hundred and fifty dollar cameos.
1: Exactly. Awesome. I have a great <laughs> picture somewhere of Chevy's reaction got the pickup, season two pickup I wanted to show you guys. I guess it's not really helpful on a podcast to show pictures, but... Um, I
3: mean, I'm not going to say no, because I'd love yeah,
1: it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll
0: describe it, we'll paint a, visual, we'll paint a
1: picture. They, for, the, for the viewers at, at, at wherever they are, the listeners, it's basically a face plant, but like just, just a, a, a true look of, <laughs> of dismay. <laughs> not because he didn't like the show, just because he's chatting and <laughs>
0: yeah, <sure. laughs> oh, if they're going to pay me to keep working on this show, people like.
1: It was cantankerous. I, I, I think there's a very good chance that we'll see more community support. some Everybody seems willing to do it. All the important people. That's the most that's,
3: important. Yeah, that's the dream. That's yep. the dream.
1: Cool.
3: <laughs> I talked to um, Yvette Nicole Brown earlier today, and like, yep. even she brought up wanting to bring people back and that it's something that people like talking about so like
1: ugh just do it I think I think uh, I think we'll see I think we'll see something I mean it's done I think I believe it's done very well for Netflix and at the very least if not if not like another season of it then that movie feels like it's it's within reach yeah for sure Dan's really the most important piece of that puzzle and he seems he seems up for it so it's, it's hope.
0: Oh, yeah, we can only hope. Uh, so I think a lot of our uh, listeners who maybe are not on the production side of things would be curious to know, like, what, what was your general responsibilities on the show as, like, a, a producer, an executive producer? I don't think a lot of people know what that entails, if you want to speak to that a little bit.
1: Sure. I mean, there's lots of titles that you see scrolling in that screen. Um, some of them are, most of them are, are just fancy writer titles. Um, <laughs> the executive producer generally, uh, sometimes they, they hand those out also to um, non-writing, what they call non-writing producers. Uh, Russ Krasnoff and Gar- Gary uh, Foster, I think. It's been a while. Yeah, Foster. Uh, they were the non-writing executive producers who Dan first sat down with uh, and pitched a show to them. They uh, took it and made a deal with Sony, so that was sort of their role was to is to hear pitches from writers and take a minute. If the show gets on the air, they get an executive producer credit. Um, the creator of the show, ninety nine percent of the time, is an executive producer, and they're the showrunner. Um, they're the ones who are who the buck stops with creatively. Um, who are responsible for the writing of the show and the editing of the show? Ultimately, they get they get final cut, and they're down on set making sure you know it's blocked right, and the jokes are landing. And they're it's a it's kind of like being the CEO of a, of a company, really. It's a very intense job. Um, we were we were co showrunners uh, with Dan on that show, not in the sense that we were making the creative decisions. In fact, we were if we had any role early on. It was making sure everybody knew that Dan was very, very clearly capable of making all the creative decisions on the show and should be making all the creative decisions on the show. Because sometimes what happens is when there's an inexperienced showrunner, the the tendency is to mitigate that by having people like me, but also five other executive producers floating around uh, as a safety net. But that can also get tricky because uh, chain of command isn't always clear. And I think Garrett and I very early on were, uh, you know, one of our biggest contributions to the show was was um, really trying to help everybody see that this was that Dan had a vision and, and that Dan should be certainly the one, and he was the one from day one. But everybody needs to really um, uh, understand that and embrace it, and not uh, and, and let him do his advanced Dungeons and Dragons and let him do his his crazy, you know, show his crazy uh, timeline episodes, seven timeline episodes, which. <laughs> When you pitch when you pitch it to a network, you can you can imagine the blood coming out of their ears when they hear it. It's nothing. <laughs> and again, they're they're even if they have faith, they're they're worried or concerned that people aren't going to understand it when they watch it. But you just have to you know Dan was became the most powerful showrunner in Hollywood when he was fired and then brought back because he he basically said, look, if you don't want me to run the show, then I'll leave the show. And and then he left the show, (laughs) I guess some powers that be didn't want him to be in charge anymore. But then guess what? He was back a year later because they, they saw what Garrett and I were, were were alluding to, which is that, you know, it's a, it's a different show without Dan there. It just needs to run through his brain. Um, And, uh, uh, there are other titles like supervising producer, producers, story editors. Those, are again, those are all like writer titles and there's literally a hierarchy of writers. Dan was very, was very much an egalitarian in the writer's room. Some writer's rooms, literally you, you tend to, to – the, the, the higher pe- the people who are higher ranked, the co-executive producers, the supervising producers, they're expected to speak more, take on more responsibility, um, and, and take up more of the real estate in the room in terms of airtime like I am now again but um and with a lower level people have to sort of be careful and choose their spots and you know but, but dan had, would have none of that being sort of the iconic class that he is and the you know that, that was sort of the advantage of one of the many advantages of not being not having grown up in the system was like he's like why does it have to be that way why if 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 gans is a story editor on the show but i think she's amazing why shouldn't she be like take the reins of her episode and run with it and and let's not worry about titles and and she did and it and other people did, and it turned out great. Um, and then you've got the production side. Usually when you see produced by on uh, uh, on the opening credits, that's the line producer. They're the ones who are in charge of making sure the script we hand them actually can get made. Um, <laughs> our community was Patrick Kinlan with the Patience of a Saint, and would never say no, um, and sort of take a lot of heat from the studio when we went over budget by $400,000, but would figure out a way to... Get subway, do an episode about subway so that subway would pay us $40,000 to balance the budget. Little did something <laughs> know that we would name a character after, after, subway, after that. And then imply that that said character got a finger shoved up his ass in sex. Which is <laughs> <laughs> um, in the title of that episode, right? Everybody knows that D- digital exploration of such and such. That's what digital exploration means. It to the joke. Oh,
3: the digit, the finger digit <laughs> Explode!
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Digital <laughs> Easter egg for you. What's the name of wow. the episode? Wow. Digital, uh, Digital um...
0: Exploration of Interior Design. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the butt, fellas.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. And not the only uh, community episode named after a butt. And that is something you just got to appreciate about this show.
1: And I don't think there's anything about that episode that has to do with interior design. Oh, it's got blanket for stuff and wait, yeah, maybe and that's... I, guys, maybe I maybe I'm wrong. Hold on, I'm looking it up. That was the <laughs> maybe pillow you're just
0: making episode. it all up.
1: That may have been just a weird fever dream. That was the Pillow Ford <laughs> episode. What was what was the subway episode?
0: That was both. It was the it was the first of the two part uh pillow ford episodes with the like the, the <laughs> full on
3: Yeah, it was before <laughs> pillows and blankets.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, that's where so interior design was about the, the pillow boards, but digital exploration was about subway says. <laughs> <It's about laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: oh, wow! That is that is truly beautiful. That's the uh, best thing. Yeah, that's I gonna love. change.
1: Every, but yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> there's uh, there's more fun. There's a lot. I mean, there was another fun part of the show. Uh, it was all over all. You guys know about the Beetlejuice one, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And then, uh, and my favorite one—that's that was Megan, I believe, Dan's, yeah, but um, that was her idea. But then there was uh, Annie. Then it was Annie's boobs grabbing the pen. You know, you could see—you could actually see him grab the pen, which was another thing we didn't—we didn't like focus on, but people found on their own. That was cool. Um, uh, it was another fun part of working on that show. But anyway, um, getting back to your little question, so yeah, so then that line producer is in charge of making show, making sure we we uh we have the sets we need and we have the actors we need, and we're doing it all on budget, and the budget sometimes went off the rails, but if if it did, it meant we had to uh make it up somewhere else by the way, that episode I just referred to, the one where where the pen was stolen, you know that 's a bottle episode, I think Abed talks about bottle episodes and that, and the reason it 's called the bottle episode in in the business is that. It usually happens when the show's over budget and they don't want to spend any money on swing sets. And they just want people to be in one room. Uh they want to shoot it quickly. So you do a bottle episode to to make up some of the money that you spent on uh on uh you know killing everybody, killing people with paintballs. Um
3: yeah, sure.
1: and, <laughs> and, and day six of five. Um so that's sort of that's sort of the uh quick sort well, not quick, nothing I say is quick. But that's sort of the the rundown of you know the writers, versus, and then showrunners. You know, while they're primarily involved in the writing of the show, they have to have some awareness of the budget, and they work in concert with the line producer. And there's a lot of times like, on Community where we were coming up with stuff so last minute that we were um, we were shooting things like really by the skin of our teeth. Uh, and I, I mean, what I mean by that is. You know, during usually you have a week of prep time. You get, usually the directors and, and the producer has a script the week before you shoot the episode, and they have a whole week to make sure that all the elements are in place, the costumes, the the, the cast. Well, our community, we would uh, ha- that lead time would burn up very quickly, and writers, uh, directors unfortunately weren't able to prep because we didn't have a script for them to prep off of. Um, all we had was an outline on the board or a story circle on the board, and we had to come in and somehow with the line producer saying, okay, here's what we think is going to happen just so that when we showed, when everybody showed up to shoot that scene, sometimes the next day, uh, all of the physical things we needed to shoot the scene would be there. Um, uh, you know, there was one uh, episode toward the end of season three, I think where we showed up and we couldn't start shooting because they were still building the set, um, or painting it because we literally gave them the pages, uh, for what we needed five hours before. Um, so, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty nerve wracking at times because the, again, the high level of difficulty meant long hours, meant deadlines that were often missed. Um, but at the end of the day, um, that crew got that show in the, in the can, uh, you know, that's all that matters. Right.
0: That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, all those crazy, like last minute additions and crazy story ideas are why we're still talking and, and podcasting about this on mass, you know, 11 years after the show debuted five years since there's been a new episode. Uh, you know, your, your hard work was worth it. The stress was worth it. I
1: promise it was, and it was, and and by the way, it paid off, not just in terms of like the fandom, which is great, but you know, the studio and network were coming at it from a, they're, they're at the end of the day, they're bottom line, their companies, their corporations, and you know the big part of the reason that Dan was left after year three, or was fired, or quit, or whatever it was, was there was a, there was a desire for, for for the show to be quote unquote normalized. Like like Dan's vision didn't necessarily line up with the vision of NBC and Sony at the time, where oh, they sure. they were like they were they just thought the show could be bigger, uh, a bigger hit, um, and therefore worth more money if it if it wouldn't do these. Dungeons and Dragons episodes they were, they were really afraid of that one um, they were afraid that people wouldn't care about Fat Neil because he wasn't a character in the show we have to argue like yeah but he's a character that's suicidal because of something that Jeff said to him I think we're going to care Jeff, Jeff Jeff's on the hook for this um, they, they were just afraid by Dungeons and Dragons being at the time maybe more niche than it is now certainly maybe. but 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 they were just thought it, like people would tr- literally turn intelligent and go what the hell is this and turn it off maybe they were right but it's a double-edged sword because it's the same – it's that same – like you guys are saying, it's that same quality that, that made it special and uh, got the fan loyalty and, and allows it to continue to build an audience. Um, and by the way, again, as far as those companies are concerned, I'm sure they did, they're they doing fine with, with it being on Netflix and having fun all these services.
3: Yeah, sure.
1: So, I mean, Netflix – May have existed back then, I don't remember. I don't think it existed. I think it was just the DVD exchange website back then. <laughs> I don't think they had any <laughs> programming. So no one could have anticipated it by virtue of the old business model. It 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 could have easily been a show that was on, even with its six seasons, went away, didn't really do that well in syndication, kind of disappeared. But streaming came along at the exact right time for the show. Um, and and it allows it it, allows it to to you know to be profitable and and have a much, much wider audience.
2: Yeah,
3: for sure. Yeah. Netflix started streaming in 2007 says, but that means there's probably an 18 month period before people started picking it up and then Um, the show starts and then, yeah,
1: it's incredible. And it was, it was just like the, the fact that, um, again, it's been streaming on Hulu this whole time, but also like Hulu had a six year, I think, exclusive, because you remember Hulu was streaming shows as they were airing,
3: yeah.
1: Um, and so once that exclusivity window ran out, and Sony the studio was able to sell the show elsewhere and found a lot of very avid, uh, hungry buyers uh, because of just where we're at in terms of streaming boom now. You know, all these right. look at all these. They, they won't all last, unfortunately. Probably it'll be survival of the fittest, but you have got like seven or eight big ones now. Yeah. Where I used to just have two back then, and even that sort of really helped uh, community. It was, it was very good timing for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Community
0: yeah, was just part launched. of the. Yeah, Peacock just launched, and and community was on Yahoo Screen there for a for a hot second.
1: And killed um, it. I think it killed Yahoo Screen.
0: I think Yahoo Screen was dead. Community was just around when they found the body. You know, what I mean? yeah, I don't know. I think I, Yahoo Screen was not,
1: moribund
3: before community showed up. Not not here here to dance on a
1: screen's ass. Uh, (laughs) That's uh, exactly right. But um, yeah, Yahoo Screen didn't really didn't didn't make it. But um, hey, we have that we have them to thank for season six. So that's right. So they serve their purpose as far as we're concerned.
3: Yeah, use them and then cast them aside.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We got what we needed out of them, which was another season of Community, which is. Uh, which is beautiful. Uh so yeah. were yeah. there Sorry. No, go ahead. No, yeah. no, no, I just had another question. You can you can go ahead if you were saying that. No, statements. I thought
1: that was gonna be really boring.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay. Uh were there, if you can remember at this point, were there any episode ideas or story ideas that you or or anyone else really latched onto but never quite made it you couldn't break the story or they just maybe they proved phenomenally too expensive was there anything that was like left on the cutting room
1: floor there probably was but nothing is coming to memory and that's and there there. were i'll say this there are plenty of times during the process of many of those episodes where i thought that was going to be the fate of said episode (laughs) Um, whether it was because it was just overly ambitious production wise or it was Sunday night and we were at somebody's house trying to figure out the second episode of Paintball in season two and we still had nothing. Um, but somehow, again, Dan and that crew of writers, we were always able to, to pull it out. Um, I remember there were certain episodes that I still – there are still episodes I still don't quite entirely get. Like the Dreamatorium one always hurts my head. Um <laughs> And I still sometimes like like feel like that 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 episode itself was like a weird dream, and have to actually go check to make sure we actually made that. Um, uh, and that, but that's like that's symptomatic of the fact that it was it was like all of these things, so many things. And I'll be the one to admit it. There are plenty of times where Dan used to say you're pouring. We used to yell at me about used to yell me for a lot of things, but one of them was like you're pouring bleach in the embryo. I was like, what? How did we get to embryo? But <laughs> Actually, but 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 actually, Dan did. He used to talk about it like we would have the embryo. He meant it slightly differently. He used to talk about it in terms of a story embryo. Like if you had your act breaks, that you he basically said like if you knew where where your act breaks were, then then you you had ninety percent of it. You had to fill, you had to get from point A to point B. But if you knew what those act breaks were, those big moments in the story where the big story turns happened, um, uh, you knew what it was. I remember Dan was very. The, the, the script was flipped on the my dinner with Andre Pulp Fiction episode where Dan kept saying to me, I remember like, does this make any sense whatsoever? And, <laughs> and I was the one sort of being the one rallying him going, I'm telling you this works. Um, and it wasn't because it was, it was my brainstorm just because, you know, it was, it was a really weird episode, uh, that seemed like it had a very loose structure, especially the part, especially the, uh, the dinner with Andre stuff with, with, uh, Abed and Jeff, and one of, one of my proudest contributions was because of my relationship with Bill Lawrence was, was shuffling Danny over to the Cougar Town set so we could shoot him out as an extra, um, and and so that that would hopefully amuse some people when when that aired, um, you know. There, so in other words, there are plenty of times during the making of the episode that me or one of us, somebody would like go, "Are we really fucking doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, I but I don't know that that too many things died. Um, there was a you know the zombie episode is a good a good a good example of like there was a tenaciousness on Dan's part on the Russos part as as sort of the house directors and executive producers certainly on the writers part to make these high concept crazy big productions make sense and the hard part like i said was not necessarily coming up with the, the high concept it's easy enough to say hey let's do a goodfellas parody let's do an oceans 11 parody let's do a Law and order parody that's easy to say concepts aren't hard to come by especially when you're trying to like i said parody means it's you know you're you're, you're parodying something that exists a genre that exists already that part's easy the hard part was figuring out how to, how to make it so that the parody was in service of the characters and not the other way around, if that makes sense.
2: Sure. Uh,
1: that that was incredibly time-consuming. and that, that was the stuff when it was not clear right away, or even if it wasn't clear on day five where you go, I don't know how we're going to make this work. Um, but I think there may be episodes, if I look back, where some work much better than others, I'm sure, but for the most part, I think. Uh, it worked out fine, except for Dreamatorium, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a it was a very efficient in that respect. There were no ideas that that didn't go didn't get on television that, that came up.
3: Do you have a like a favorite three episodes? Because I'm making someone pick their their number one favorites, like putting two children in front of you and making you pick your favorite. It's unfair.
1: Um, I do you mean, have, like, a top three? <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I have to put Modern Warfare up there because it was like, I was, even I was like, oh, shit, like, we can do this kind of stuff, you know? Like, it sort, yeah. of, it, it sort of opened the, the Pandora's box or whatever the positive version of that is <laughs> <laughs> of, of the possibilities in terms of storytelling that we could do and and so not just from a viewer standpoint viewership standpoint but from a sort of evolution of the show standpoint that was a milestone um and then actually i mean there, there's there's certainly more than three too uh also but um uh the other two i mentioned uh, already i think are, are are big favorites for me goodfellas uh, the chicken fingers one i just every time the Layla song starts playing it makes me smile i remember that was that was one place where i was like gonna throw myself on a grenade to make sure we got the rights to that song because I was like, I don't know, it just, it just felt perfect that we were, uh, that was playing over, over the revenge of, uh, of Abed. Um, and, uh, I really love the Pulp Fiction, uh, Dinner with Andre one also. Um, those are definitely three big ones for me. And, you know, remedial chaos theory was, was, I think, amazing. And so I'm cheating. And that's four. And this is my last one. Five would be Professor <laughs> Professor Professorson and the conspiracy theory one. All. That yes. One. That was we a just talked about that episode. It's incredible. incredible. That was a giant pain in the ass to figure out. Especially <laughs> the, the end of it with the guns and, and what was going on. Like that was the fear is always that it's called, like we call it some writers' rooms, they say it's like you're building a bridge to nowhere. Like, you have a great first two acts, but you cannot figure out how to end the story. And the ending of the story is kind of the most important part because if you shit the ending of the story, the takeaway is going to be, meh, nah, that didn't really work. Right. You know, that's true of movies. That's true. In, the reverse is true, too. There's some movies where you're like, eh, nah, and then the ending is amazing. And you walk out, at least for a little while, going, eh, nah, it wasn't so bad. Um, uh, that one was like a, a one where all of our ears were bleeding. And finally, I think it was Chris, probably Ken and Dan came up with that and we, we, I actually have a, uh, the, the show gifts that year were um, Greendale, the wrap gifts were Greendale time hoodies uh, that we made <laughs> everybody. Um, but th- that's a, uh, that's another one that uh, I love. Um, I didn't, I've never seen season four. Um, <laughs> I have seen season five and six and that weirdly not, a, I, you know, I started to watch it and again, some of my friends worked on that show and it wasn't that they, they, Uh, and and some of the original writers worked on the show again and it's to no fault of their own i think there are good episodes i've heard in there It just i don't know if it was psychological or what knowing dan wasn't there behind it uh was like i was i I kind of just it just i I watched one and i was like i just it just sound doesn't even sound like the show to me and i don't know if it was was psychological i was like the voices there's something like we literally used to call it harmonization who's that oh no Has Jace arrived? Jace is arrived. Hello, can
4: you hear me? Yes, we can. I
1: don't know. We we got to start all over again? Yeah, we we (laughs) got to retract all the things you said. No,
4: no. no. No, no. (laughs) Fuck me. Don't. I don't don't matter. Keep going.
0: Jace is uh, an important actor type person and had, you know, some like... Obligations before this. Uh, so they were they were late, but I'm glad you could show up to the party all the same. Thank you.
4: I'm, I'm excited to be here. I feel oddly at home. It's almost like I do this regularly.
1: <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we're done. <laughs> all right. Well, it was nice talking to you. See, you. <laughs> we've wrapped. Uh, yeah. I know where to be, and as you can see, I, I'm capable of rambling on
3: and on. Oh, then you, my friend, are in the right place because we can. <laughs> We can go an entire hour of pre-show talking about Star Wars and superheroes and then go, oh, yeah, we do a we show gotta, about community.
2: <laughs> we
0: got to press go on the podcast machine before before I have to go to sleep and wake up for work in the morning. Uh, so you uh, you you uh, mentioned Bill Lawrence. So it's a, a perfect um, way to now, like, I think 10, 15 minutes later, uh, uh, talk about uh, another one of my favorite shows that you worked on, which was Scrubs. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm curious how you uh, came onto that show, if you were friends with Bill, and maybe what that process was like.
1: Um, that was, we were not friends with Bill. I met him once in a nightclub when he was drunk and he had weird peroxided um, hair, not that there's anything wrong with dyed hair. Um, <laughs> uh, all my kids have dyed hair right now um <laughs> was like, so i so i did not know i knew just of his work on spin city which i enjoyed um i knew of him as sort of a wonderkind, uh 25 year old hotshot who gary david goldberg you know decided was going to be the next big thing and they paired up obviously to create that show, which i enjoyed um so no it was just really just our agents uh, we were at the same agency which didn't hurt but he read a sample that Garrett and i wrote i think it was a news radio sample script uh which is a you know, that should be rediscovered if it, if it, if you guys don't know it or people in general don't know it because it's great um, and it a big influence. But um, a lot of people, I think. Uh, so no, we just had a meeting with Bill off off of a um, spec script he wrote. I actually think he, in retrospect, I think he once said like, "Oh, I was actually going to hire somebody else, but that person took another job." So you were, you guys, you guys were. were. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way the business works. It just could have been, could have, could have been, gone a whole different way. But um, we ended up getting that job as relatively young writers. I gave you, I was going through some of those titles. We weren't even producer titled. We were like executive story editor, which is like third year writer. Uh, I was coming off a of Family Guy, being there for a couple seasons before that got canceled. And then we, we did some time on another show uh, that went 13 episodes and got canceled. And then we went on Scrubs, and that was eight, eight years on that show which is uh, wow, just crazy. And eight, eight years of, I think, or most of those seasons, 22 episodes. There was a lot, of, uh, a lot of time spent on that show and also a great place to, to you know, consider Bill. I consider Dan one of my mentors too, even though I was there sort of to, in a weird way to mentor him. He <laughs> ended up mentoring Gary you know, like in terms of how to go about it and how to navigate the studio network and such, not in terms of writing, but he was a mentor, I feel like, um, on the writing side. Uh, like I said, showing us how you can, we did some of that on, on Scrubs. There were episodes of Scrubs we did that we used to call concept episodes also where we, um, you know, played with the form a little bit. We did one that was like took place in front of a, of a multi-camera audience uh, with a laugh track. Um, so it so was <laughs> sort of, you know, as, as much as I say, modern, fa- modern warfare, rather expanding my mind, what we're doing community. The reality was, you know, we were doing some of that boundary pushing format, Experimentation on scrubs under Bill. So go back and erase that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was it was it was taken to a whole other level in community. Don't get me wrong. But um, uh, it was you know in a weird way it was a great um, on a number of levels it was a great experience uh, that shaped uh, that, that we that we brought to community. Like not just in terms of working with another with an ensemble like scrubs is ensemble and community was obviously um, but um, in terms of like you know always making sure that as you know scrubs had its fantasies and had its flashbacks and had its wackiness making sure even in, among all of that we were telling a story like I said an interpersonal story between characters mm-hmm. um, that ho- hopefully had some that, that were moving because that's that's really the secret sauce you know like landing some emotion like you could be as funny as, as whatever but in a television show the thing that that makes you really invested in the characters are those emotional moments where you, where you come to like them and care about them and that's what kind of really brings you back um so we brought someone some of that knowledge into community dance didn't need to be told that but it it, it was something we, we tried to keep up no it was it was a great place to to learn we also bill also as the seasons wore on we also um sometimes we're very cutting it very close in terms of the writing to versus production. So that's where we learned quote unquote, guerrilla filmmaking, meaning like not having a script. Like literally there was one week where we we're supposed to, you know, sh- shows usually start on Monday and wrap on Friday five, uh, a half hour comedy takes five days to shoot every course of the week. Um, it was, it was Friday and we had to shoot an episode for next week. And, um, Bill said, all right, I don't, we don't have a script. We don't have an idea. Our back's are up against the wall. We can't force a hiatus and cost $200,000 to the studio. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up with a little self-contained C story between Turk and whoever. And we're going to shoot. We're going to write that on Friday. We're going to shoot that on Monday. But we still don't know what the rest of the episode is. <laughs> on so we Monday, we were shooting an episode while we were in the writer's room outlining the rest of the coming up with and outlining the rest of that episode. And then writing only the scenes the night before they were going to shoot. Now, for better or for worse, we knew how to do that. We went to community. So we may have been enablers to some degree. <laughs> to the, <laughs> the like, like early on with Dan, I think there was, there was I mean, it wasn't it exactly in full like this, but there was a moment where Dan was like, well, can we do that? And it was a crossroads where Garrett and I can either go, no, you can't do that and probably have a more sane existence. Or we would go, yeah, you can, here's how you do it. Uh, (laughs) Everybody's going to hate us, but we're just going to write the scenes that we're going to shoot the next day and and do it that way. And uh, some of those those episodes that I quoted to you that were my favorite were, were, for better or for worse, were made that way. Certainly, uh, My Dinner with Andre, Pulp Fiction, whatever that one was called, was um done that way in fact uh, uh danny Pudi is oftentimes reading off of cue cards because we were running dialogue down to him in other words we knew we needed a jeff op-ed scene in the restaurant uh, but we didn't know what it was so we would board it for the next day we're going to be shooting it but that's an instance of not even having it the night before we wrote those scenes an hour before or even while they were while they were doing you know, the show and that's wow. the other that's yeah, Look, you could do that with Danny You couldn't do that so much with Chevy. Chevy needed cue cards for a whole other reason, um, <laughs> <laughs> for like Marlon Brando reasons, yeah. right? But um, you know, the actors. By the way, I didn't give them enough credit. The fact that they were so game for this, because not every group of actors would be, or at least five six five six of them initially were game, um, and the other one didn't have much of a choice, and we would sort of limit him, how much of that he had to do. But they were just. I mean, they rolled with it, you know, because I think they also had a sense that it was different and special and it doesn't come along that often that you get to do this kind of – get to have this kind of fun on mm-hmm. a uh, show and, and, and play and be this experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, so but in many ways, Scrubs was a, a, a great uh, training ground for community and even to some degree gave Garrett and I the, 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 the knowledge of how to pull that kind of crazy shit off. Uh, so, you know, blame Bill. For that. um, (laughs) (laughs) We're so thankful for it. Yeah, as as am I. It it was not, there were some uh, nights that were not fun, Uh, even Dan would say. uh, He'd be the first to say. uh, I remember one writer who shall remain nameless um, for now was dry heaving uh, in the bathroom. He was a very calm guy, very placid, serene dude. I'll I'll narrow it down and say he was a, was a, a male. Um, uh, but I, I went into the bathroom and he was dry heaving because it was his table read <laughs> His this table read was in six hours and we didn't have a script yet. And his name was, on. <laughs> um, and no matter what, even though people knew that it was like very damn heavy, if your name's on the script and there is no s- script, you're going to feel like every, everybody, all the powers that be, you're going to think it's your fault somehow. So I, I empathized uh, immensely with that. That was me every week. Cause as executive producers, we were the ones responsible for making sure this machine would run on time, and, and oftentimes it didn't. Oftentimes, all the executives would be assembled for the table read at, let's say, 11 on Monday, and i have to go down there and do like a literal song and dance. Well, not literal, but do somewhat of a song and dance because they were upstairs still writing the third act, uh, and we weren't going to have it for another hour. Um, and those scripts came right off the copy machine uh, when the writers got them. <laughs> I'm sorry, when the actors got him at the table read, they were hot, literally hot off the press. Um, wow. Sometimes, sometimes we had no idea what Dan did in the third act. He just was like, I'm going to write third act. You go down there. I'll meet you there. And when we got to the third act, I look at him, and he'd just go, I don't know. We, we, we'll we we'll fix it later, you know, at the table. Yeah, when, when it was like just a, clearly a phoned in third act at the table read. <laughs> Wild. Just
3: laying down track as the train's moving. Just... Right. <laughs> Constantly,
1: as I mean, yeah, that's a great analogy, and even more extreme than that. But but there is a relationship between that and what you see on TV, as you guys were sort of alluding to earlier. The, the crazy late nights, the the like, it's hard to know what comes first. Like the ideas sometimes were born out of those crazy late night sessions when mm-hmm.
2: like,
1: brains were fried, um, and we're all a little punchy. Um, and sort of were one and the same. It was a, uh, I remember also there were two writers who showed up mid-season, uh, a writing team that we got as reinforcements, and one of them was supposed to go to Vietnam and cancel this trip to come onto the show, and his first night there was an all-nighter, and uh, I saw him, he, he, he decided to go to, for some reason, he was in, He took his pants off and was curled up under a desk trying to fall asleep at some point for a couple hours, and uh, I was like, welcome to Vietnam, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's you know it, it's uh, and I, I still occasionally when i'm on the uh paramount lot if i walk by the, our office space and i get and a, a, our former office is there i'll walk by and i'll smell i'll get the, the smell of the office and i'll i will get ptsd sort of um, yeah sure it's a combination of ptsd from the how nerve-wracking it was at times and a great sense of like man i wish we could do more and and I can be part of it. So it's a, it's a weird combination of feelings that wash over me. But, um, yeah. I like
4: weird. how you keep pretending that you're not going to do more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, I don't I honestly don't know if I am for various reasons. Um, sure. Uh, but I do think that, uh, I was saying to these guys earlier, I think I don't know anything, but I think, there'll uh,
4: I, I think, I think it's only a smart idea to at least consider doing the movie.
1: <laughs> yeah there'll be there'll be a movie there'll be there may be there may be more we'll see um i, I wouldn't be not again not because i know anything's good I, I mean, right given given the fact that people are they're rebooting this show that show the other show i don't know if it would be with the same actors i don't know as long as it's, the important the important thing is look ideally it's with dan and 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 everybody dan wants and uh to be in the show sure. uh, uh but um He's he's like I was saying these guys earlier. Really, he's by far the most important part, and he's indicated I think a number of times that he's he'd be happy to do it. Just gotta you know get over this. Just beat COVID. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, back
3: to Scrubs for a moment, and it's really just a moment. I have two friends that have worked in hospitals their entire lives, and they uh, frequently talk about how accurate the show is in terms of like what. Happens in hospitals and how like the process of being an RN and like going through school and all that stuff works. um So one, good job, I guess. Two, like, what uh, did did you guys like on purpose fact check that stuff or did it just happen that you had people that kind of knew how that stuff happened because you have shows like ER. Where people are like, "That's not how any of this works." <laughs> and Scrubs um, gets like high grades across the board most of the time when people look at it for accuracy.
1: It's interesting. Um, we did get a lot of our stories from from doctors. Um, I'll tell you one story in a second that is an example of sometimes truth being sh- even stranger than fiction. Yeah, we get that a lot. How it was, it was, it was. Some of them say is most realistic. No, we, look, we had a doctor on set. Uh, John Doris, ironically, the, you know the main title, the, the X-rays on backwards, and, and the, the short version of the main title, we got a lot of shit for that. And <laughs> John Doris, who's the real JD, who is the guy that the show is based on, could not believe he was there that day <laughs> because he's like, I'm the medical advisor for the show, and the fucking X-rays on backwards, so people are gonna think I am the worst <laughs> doctor at all times. But then. We're like, no, no, I mean, that was intentional because they're new doctors, so they throw it backwards. They're scrubs, get it? And he was like, no, nah, you guys fucked up. Um, and then we fixed it and we did a longer version and then was, he was happy, but then we needed more time for the show and less time for the credits, so we said, all right, we're going back to the, talk that version. Um, uh, so it was a combination of having him around to sort of keep us honest. It was a combination of getting stories. Also, like, a lot of things we get from from people are like, not so much that what happened or what happens in the show is, is accurate or, or in addition to it, just the emotional, like the sort of it captured for, for people, the, the sense, the surreal, the surreality of being a doctor, you know, it captured the, the, the weirdness of it and the high stakes and the, the being strung out and, and, and all of the sort of the big, all the, you know, various emotions that are, that are felt during the course of a shift. Um, a lot of people felt like it was very, it was very, um, True to their experience, just emotionally, spiritually. Um, the quick story I was going to tell you was: we actually were told a story by by a, an intern where they they were on a on, the, on a psych ward, uh, um, and there was one patient who thought they were Jesus, and it was another patient who thought they were Satan. And so the, the doctors thought it would be funny to put Jesus and Satan in the same room and see that. <laughs> So we thought that would be a great story. So we wrote it, we shot it. When we watched it, and nothing magical happened. It was just, it was a guy that looked like Jesus because he, you know, wasn't magical. It was like he obviously grew his hair long and whatever. And the guy who was kind of like tatted up, and I can't remember what Satan looked like. We shot it. When we watched it, we the writers went, you know what? That feels like we're it feels like we're making that up. It feels fake. And Bill bill had the wherewithal this was a and by the way this was there were lots of other stories we came up with where we you know we used the germ of a real thing that happened or a real medical story or or whatever um, but we still have to make stuff up but Bill's like uh, this just feels like a completely fake storyline and I'm gonna yank it on the show and he pulls the whole thing and so the irony was always that here we had the story that was literally, True and someone some, not only true but we heard it firsthand from a doctor who at least claimed that, that he did it um, and uh, and we thought okay well if it's true then it's great and in that instance it wasn't um, so that's kind of interesting so but, um it is it is it is gratifying to hear even though the goal wasn't necessarily to to be like a documentary by any means or, uh, or to document the, <laughs> the but like you know I do think it was Bill's vision to capture um, the drama and the comedy and the just the greatness yeah. um, and uh, you know there's some seasons of that too where we look back and go what were we thinking like there's some fantasies and I that in my head if you told me the joke I go yeah that was one of JD's fantasies and it wasn't like there was a joke where Turk was, where JD put Turk or Turk put JD in his backpack and they went to a movie theater and and it wasn't a fantasy and there's another. <laughs> <laughs> episode Where um the, the janitor built like a life-size um sand castle in the parking lot that he was like living in that also was not a fantasy. So there were, there, were, there were seasons of that show that where we lost our minds and um and we we would do this this like we call it state of the show. We did that on community too. I think Dan, if I recall, would always like yell state of the show. We would I mean yeah, I might be making that up but Somebody would yell that. But where where you go you take stock and as hard as these episodes are to produce and as you see like sometimes you just don't have any room to breathe or you're just doing them by the skin of your teeth. You would still attempt every once in a while to stop and go, okay, what have we done? What's working? What's not working? How do we get, by the way, what do the fans think? Like a community is a great example of a show between message boards that, that used to exist on scrubs and, and community and tweets even like taking, like getting real time feedback from fans, you know, not just like, oh, that was awesome, but I mean, that was nice, but what they didn't like, what they liked, reading the AV Club reviews, reading the, you know, it was a, those were new at the time. Like the fact that, that actual, every episode was getting written up in blogs. And we and Dan, we would read those and take those to heart and uh, not always agree with them, but sometimes, um, sometimes uh, <laughs> there, there was more fan. Um, there, the fans contributed more than they know to both of the shows simply by um, – again, by their by their feedback, by their episode reviews, um, and that was cool. That was fun. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome.
4: That's amazing. I know if I was doing a show as an actor and I got feedback on a regular basis, that would be mortifying. Were there any times <laughs> where like you – like because you were saying you took those to heart, which I get. You know, like feedback is great and it's really exciting when you find something – the, like, for me, the really juicy ones are the ones where it's, like, it's definitely not a positive note, but there's so much room for growth that comes with the note. Those are the ones that I, like, love getting. Were there any things that you distinctly remember reading that either, like, completely changed the way you thought about something or, <laughs> you know, even, even a note that you got that, like, you wanted to just ignore but you couldn't shake? It just, like, rattled you and you, like, felt terrible or like even on the opposite side, a note that just brought you immense joy to see that what you did was working?
1: Yes, that's a great question. Um, uh, there were certainly times, like, Garrett and I wrote the episode of Scrubs where Brendan Fraser died. Uh, it was called My Screw-Up, and it was, a, it was a Sixth Sense sort of deal where it was a reveal at the end, and we were very nervous about um, whether people would get it, frankly. Um, one of the network executives said he showed to his wife and she didn't understand it explained to her oh shit um, but we didn't, it was kind of too late we couldn't change it and so mm-hmm. we, it aired and we went right to those boards we are waiting for feedback and this is an example of, of a time it it was it didn't work that great where suddenly we started seeing messages pop up and again back then there was like a literal scrubs website with the and people were posting in the message board it had like it's <laughs> 30 or 40 right. regulars and the and then people were like, oh, my God, he used that. And we were like, "It's like a sigh of relief and, and elation that people like got it because it was like there were things we could have done to sort of spoon-feed it more. And, but we tried to play it artfully, and you never know. You know, you can never look at it with fresh eyes necessarily. Was, and the only fresh eyes we'd heard to that point was someone who didn't get it. So that was a great relief. Right. And, and we were super happy about that. I'm trying to think about – I mean, there are probably too many others – too numerous to mention the times where someone said something that, that, uh, that hurt a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <that's, laughs> yeah. where it became useful was when there was, was when it felt like there was a consensus, like the random, the ra- someone's always going to say something like we've all, all sure. like, we've been focus groups where people say things to say things or they say things to troll or mm-hmm. say things, whatever, where it became a little bit more constructive was when Emily at the AV club. Um, but she was very, very helpful. In terms of like having super, like being a fan of the show, but she also, as much as much a fan she was, she would, she would hold her feet to the fire when something wasn't working. Go, nah, didn't like it, didn't care for it, you know? And um, like I said, the comment section was interesting because sometimes there'd be debates between two people who, best episode ever, worst episode ever, you know, you probably see that on, on any show. Um, you know, what, one of the things that one critic said in particular. Uh, and I can't remember who this was, but she did say that she felt that that our our concept episodes were a little distancing. I mentioned this earlier, um, that it, that it, it prevented her from getting too sucked in. And I remember there was one episode that was a turning point for her, where she's like, "Okay, I get it now, I get it now." And I think it was Remedial Chaos Theater where she's like, "That was that was a extreme example of them being meta and playing with it, but yet in this again in the service of." learning something new about these characters in the service of uh, uh, of, an, of an idea as opposed to uh, in the service of just of being sort of masturbatory, meta, look look at us, we're showing off, look what we can do, you know? So that was another sort of, that's another example, I guess, of a, of a, of a very gratifying comment that they that yeah. made, where, where someone who was skeptical and sort of goes, I think she her thing was like, she's like, I admire the show, but... Um, but I don't. I don't. I kick it into the show. It was her taking until I believe it was that episode when she's like, "All right, now now it clicked for me." It was like, "I like and never." It's um, also nice to know that she, even somebody who was put off initially, like there, there is a learning curve to that show for some people.
4: Sure. Yeah, I've experienced that with other shows myself. I think most notably for me. Not to go too far off, but, you know, this is what we do on a regular basis. Like, I remember when I first started watching, like, I don't know, Parks and Rec, I couldn't get into it until season two started, you know, like, and it's, that's, that's a thing sometimes, but it's, it's always exciting to see when those shifts happen and, like, sometimes they're really subtle but really impactful and it's so, it's so, it's just really exciting to hear that, like, you can see, you were seeing that real time and, like, being able to, like, learn from that and grow from that. I think that's kind of like just like early, almost like open source.
1: It is. And you can't it's take it, sick. you can't take it too much to heart. And you can't get, I'm going to be the naysayers and are going to be people who'd be dicks. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you know how to, if you know how to read it and you go into it saying, all right, well, let's see if anything constructive can come out of it. Sometimes, sometimes it can. And sometimes you just keep doing your own thing and you see other people catching uh-huh. up on what you're doing. But just, just having that, that just did not exist, you know, when like however many years ago, I mean, pre-internet, someone back quite a ways. Um, but that type of like instance, not just reactions, but that type of, of um, uh, c- conversation, dialogue between mm. not just fans of the show, but between fans of the show and the creators of the show, mm-hmm. just didn't, it, is a relatively new thing. Right. And, it's, and as a as a like said, as a, as an actor, as a writer, there's something really cool about, especially in television, where you're not, you don't get to see everybody and movies you're watching your show and reacting to it, at mm-hmm. least getting getting some feedback, in some cases love, in some cases hate, in some cases constructive criticism, um, getting it that way, um, is something oh, I really like.
4: I have this, this whole, I, you were talking about, um, chaos theory, and my brain made like several jumps, it went from chaos theory to darkest timeline to, um, a topic. I don't know if you've covered this already while I wasn't here, uh, oh. and I don't mean to be insensitive, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the gas leak um, and what yeah. that what what was the environment shift like? What did that happen? Because I remember, for me, the thing that that was different for me was the function of the metanus in that season, like the way that I believe there was darkest timeline. Some of the characters started showing up in a fantastical way, and it was a ref- it was. Just like what was what was the process like? What's it like to have a show that goes through such a drastic shift at a certain point?
1: Um, yeah, I alluded to it earlier. I wasn't there. I left when Dan left at season three. That, mm-hmm. that shift did not that shift did not happen because I left. It happened because Dan left. Sure. Uh, we and we Garrett and I fully anticipated that would happen if Dan left, which is why we did not want to take over the show in season mm-hmm. four. That was a no-win situation. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't the writer's uh, fault that season. I was saying earlier, I do think that show is so Dan specific, and 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 we used to. I told these guys we used to call the rewrite sometimes harmonization. You would harmonize a script, Mm -hmm. yeah. Meaning, like even if the script was there, are some writers on that show who who just nailed the voices of the show. It still needed to go through Dan's Dan's hand for calibration not just in terms of the voices of the characters but what you're alluding to which is interesting which is like so that things felt natural and didn't feel forced and when i watched it i only watched the first episode of season four out of curiosity and i felt the same exact thing which is that which was that something is off here and i've and i, and I told these guys earlier there were i think megan was on that year and andy Barbara was on that year i think mm-hmm. and there were certainly some, some writers there's some continuity of terrific writers who made it now they weren't the writers who were. In charge of the show but the other thing is that there was a mandate from above that um those writers to their credit didn't really heed to because they knew they were between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. it's part of, again it's part of the reason that garrett and i didn't want to take over so no one situation because if you tried to emulate dan you would fail because you weren't Dan. just like I, you'd like to believe that someone tried to emulate any of us they wouldn't be able to because they're not you. right Warren's right. a genius and all but we all have our individual voices and Dan's mm-hmm. and voice was all over that show and it colored everything. Um, the other factor was that there was a mandate from above to change the show, to to, right. to, normal, to normalize the show. They didn't want the show to be as weird. They thought in season four somehow maybe they could have the show they wanted from from day one, which was just a bunch of got people going to community college and living their life and dating and getting into fights, but without zombies and without um, <laughs> chicken chicken. Without without seven different timelines, right? Um, so so, I think they were in a really tough spot where they were like, "We need to do what we were hired to do, which is to quote unquote normalize." Um, but by the same token, they didn't want to alienate the the very loyal fan, small but loyal fan base they had. Sure, they want to lose them away by making the show something completely different. And again, just by virtue of not having Dan in that room and Dan taking the pass and Dan not being the showrunner, it was going to feel different.
4: Yeah, uh, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just the, the word that comes to mind when hearing you talk about it is, um, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot personally, and I've also talked, I think, with, with Caleb and Kevin about, with just like, even with like, it's just the, the way that that season is very intertextual. So like, it relies on the fact that the audience knows what's going on from the previous seasons, but in itself, it is something different so it's it's and with that comes the difficulty of how do you how do you make something that refers to where it came from um but different it's like when you look at i don't know say like the remake of the lion king the live action lion king or something like that and there's moments that are shot for shot from the original and you get this like sense of nostalgia but then once that ends there's it's it's a different thing there isn't necessarily a new thing that supports it and in this case it's the tone because dan's not there um, so yeah,
1: it's just, it's a, it isn't even here you speak in those terms. There's like this cognitive dissonance that happens. Right. It's the same but different. And and, and and it may even been been over-relying on references to earlier episodes uh, to some degree to, 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 as a way to say to people, hey, we're the same show. Right, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't sound the same and look the same. Again, uh, anybody in that spot, in that showrunner position, And and the guys who who were in there were were very good writers and smart people. And I think they were even aware while they were doing it of how um, fraught it was and what what impossible task they were asked to do, which is keep the audience you have, but also gain a whole other, make it be the same, make it be, I mean, and that's what you're describing as the result of those type of decisions from on top. And again, that's when Dan, when when Joel, I think spearheaded, like the least was part of the impetus to get Dan rehired. It was, I think, mm-hmm. I think it was just, just, it was like saying this to, to the powers that be, see, see, this is what, this is why, right. You know, and it's, you just have to accept that the show, if you don't like it, you don't like it, but there are a lot of people that do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we're going to say, I'm sorry.
4: Oh no, you're totally fine. I was just thinking about like, I just, it's interesting when I look back at it now, because the first time I watched the show, I didn't come into community until after all of it had, been aired already like it was like done done to completion and i watched it just binged it all the way through and i didn't have any history backing me and i actually didn't notice for a while that that season was different like it it <laughs> just there was something like when you watch it just like going straight through it there are so many i think it's a testament to how good of a job the writers did is like they were able to fundamentally like grab the pillars and like just hold on tight um while you're trying to it's like the image coming to mind is like if you were to take like a house and try and lift the whole thing up and like change out the foundation it's like they did a really good job (laughs) of keeping the house together while trying to shift something really integral to its 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 essence you know and so i remember in my viewing going through it i was like season four i was like it's it's the same house and then upon further inspection i was like wait something's <laughs> something very minute yet essential <laughs> wait <it?" laughs> a
1: minute oh, yeah. it's a very weird it's it, i don't know I, I mean i'm sure there are other shows with the same history you know i think Seinfeld, like larry david left and came back i mean there, there are other examples but none that i could think of that had that drastic uh I, and again having just seen one episode but even hearing what you're saying and What others have said seems like very clear, you know.
4: I mean the biggest the biggest difference as the viewer is that's the season of Changnesia, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah, and that's that's the one thing I think. My theory is that essentially, upon first viewing, that plot line is so dumbfoundingly like distracting yet enticing, but so so bizarre. It's, it's like so it kind weird. of it does this magical little it's like this the magician going <laughs> look over here and you're just like oh okay yeah uh, and like you kind of buy it because chang is such a curveball character to begin with that you're just like oh this is the direction we're going okay cool
1: <laughs> it's even my son who's nine <laughs> i started watching the show i was telling these guys after he found my um the, the Western paintball gun that Dan bought everybody after season two. Oh, I thought I, had, cool. thought I had a gun in the house and then I said, no, I mean, yes. <laughs> you know, Joe, I think when we got to, to season four. There was a little bit of like, it wasn't that he, he articulated it. He was just like, he, he lost in, he, yeah, he started to lose interest, you know, and mm-hmm. either, either it's coincidence because he just had community fatigue, but I was kind of like, we'll just skip to season five and see if it, if that works for you. Uh, I don't know if he's done yet, but I'm, I'm curious to see if it if it feels done. Um, yeah, no, Daddy,
0: it feels like the original spirit of the show is missing. <laughs> <laughs> Disney, Daddy, the integral voice of our favorite show is gone. You don't know Dan.
1: Return. <laughs> yeah, first of all, how do you know that's what my son sounds like? <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs>
3: I mean, uh, Kevin you cannot answer that question, answer
2: I, that question. <laughs> there is
0: no good answer so I'm oh, letting the Taylor. uncomfortable silence sit
1: untouched <laughs> <Yeah. because> there <laughs> is, like,
0: there's is no correct answer <laughs> no. I don't
1: know what happened. I think I'm, I'm worried that someone stole my paintball gun because it used to be in my office I wanted to show you guys I'm very <sighs> proud of it, my prized possession maybe it's my son's room
4: okay I have another question that may have already been asked but I need to know Paintball episodes, um, as an actor, I know that prop weapons are, like, big precaution kind of thing. Were there any live paintball guns on set, and did anybody get hit by an
1: actual paintball? Another good question. I don't think – I think there were some live paintballs, although I think we painted most of them in afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, there may have been live paintballs against – Yeah, I don't think anybody – I don't think any, any of the – Paintballs that someone was hit by were live. Uh right. you know, I, I do recall there being there being people on the set ensuring everybody's safety during all of that. Mm-hmm. I think they were all painted in.
4: Because there's two moments that come to mind. Um, there's the the two paintballs hitting each other shot. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is Chang with the double Uzi yeah. type moment going on, yeah. <laughs> and those are the ones where I look at it and I'm like, were those done with paintball guns? Like, did they those, actually?
1: I think the I think those may have been. Mm-hmm. I think as long as somebody wasn't getting hit by a uh, paintball, um, uh, it, it was it, it may have been real most of the time. Not all the time because again, it was like everybody. Someone had to clean this shit up. Sure, and a lot of it was <laughs> stickers.
3: <laughs>
4: oh, the other times
3: just covered the school in paint. Right, <laughs> well, we kind of did that.
4: <laughs> the question that comes to mind now: You say someone had to clean it up. Uh, was it the third paintball iteration with the sprinklers? Yeah. What was? Yeah. Did, was that yeah. just like? Did they just say "fuck it"? We gotta spray the whole uh, set with paint, or was
1: that what season was that? I don't, that's the
0: end of two. That's that the, the of two. that's the uh, Star Wars themed paintball
2: finale.
1: I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Remember, and here, and this will be a good callback right right off the bat. I don't remember because my son was born that week, and I don't think oh. I was there for the production. Ah, oh, oh, wow. nice so, excuses, excuses. My son, <laughs> sounds, my son, who sounds something like this. Uh,
0: Daddy! I know you wanted to be on set for the big paintball episode, but I'm sorry, I was born. <laughs> oh
1: no! I remember. My son, you say it like that. Uh, my. uh, <laughs> My wife was pregnant, obviously, um, and it was the morning of the first. Uh, we had written the script, but it was starting. We were, we were shooting it, and she's like, "My water broke," and I was, I was, uh, I, was I was like, "Yes, I don't, have
0: to- <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry about this
1: one." <gasps> Garrett, Dan, rest of you gang, you who know, says You got this, and they did, by the way. Um, no, I, I mean, I was, I was there some days. Uh, I wasn't there the first day. I don't remember. I don't remember. I could find out and get back to you on that from Joe Russo. like I'd love
4: I'd love that. You don't need to, but that would be exciting if you did. <laughs> <laughs> that would be
1: great. It's whether the paint was came really came out of the sprinklers, right?
4: Or, or just like what that yeah. process was like. You know, like I guess like did you actually do sprinklers, but also just like how how did you manage cleanup? Yeah. I'll get you an answer
1: on that. Wow. In part two. So wow. in part
3: two, yeah. Sure. Excellent. <laughs> It's sad to find out that no one got shot with paintballs because I really thought you shot Jim Rash
1: in the forehead with a paintball. <laughs> I don't remember. It's sad. I don't I mean it was it was ten years ago. And sure. There are some of those details that like the writing stuff I kinda remember. The production stuff's a little I'm a little fuzzy around because partly because we weren't always able to be on set as much as we wanted to be. But that one I wouldn't have an excuse because the reason we weren't on set is because we were back in the writer's room writing. And that one was the last one of the season. So somebody knows, and I will I will get you that answer. We'll do okay. a whole episode of the podcast devoted to the answer to that question.
4: Wait, okay. Oh, perfect. We're talking yeah. about paintball guns, and now I have one other question that came to mind. Oh,
1: God, I, I know.
4: Discuss. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, what is it? Uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah. Were you in the room when that was being written? And what was it like— Talking to each other about, and then this guy walks in and shoots them, and then repeat, repeat. Like, what?
1: Was what was that process? I was guys, I was telling these guys earlier, it was crazy. That was one of the episodes where we used to call it a bridge to nowhere. Well, not necessarily a community, but where we had two acts and couldn't figure out to, to resolve. And that when we put ourselves in such a corner, plot wise, it really took a while. And I think it was it may have been McKenna, um, Chris McKenna, who who, who cracked that. But I was the the asshole that had to go pitch it to the network and say, this is what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I remember being met with um, just like utter silence uh, and confusion. And I just had to say, as I had to say so many times, what I really wanted to say was, uh, ship has sailed. That's it. That's what we're doing. See you on set. But I had to say, you know, trust me, it'll work. Um, uh, uh, But yeah, it was, it was, I was in the room. I did not come up with a solution. It was, a, I do remember it being a great relief when we finally did, we all like were just like dying laughing. And I remember that feeling of like, all right, now i got to try to sell this to uh, the <laughs> studio network. But knowing I Dan behind me, I really didn't have to. And I was telling these guys too, that year we made um, time hoodie um, wrap gifts for everybody. Um, that was like basically a, a, a Greendale hoodie that, on the hood, I kind of wish we did this differently. I actually, was like I got lazy. I was like, just write "time" hoodie on the rim of the hood, so it's kind of nerdy because it just says, and it's backwards. So you wear it. The hood is hanging. Out. People are like trying to turn their heads to see what the hell it says. It says "time." <laughs> if you see me? The street, Perfect. Um, but that was I was I mentioned one of my favorites, uh, Professor Professorson. Um,
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it it so just cool. gets me.
1: They were really not keen on on. Did I just say keen? I don't know that I've ever used "keen" in this sentence. Well, but either, you, were, you know, like, I'll allow it. You're welcome. They, they were not. Um, they, they did not love the idea of, of the gun in that one either. But uh, it was so ridiculous of gunplay. But it was so ridiculous that mm-hmm. uh, they, they gave in. And again, at the end of the day, they didn't have a choice: it was that or nothing. Um, <laughs> Just Dan, 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 I mean, that was Dan was willing to be the sort of bad guy. Uh, a lot of times, when it came to stuff like that, um, you know, and, and and had the balls to say, "This is what we're doing," and, and, and that's what good showrunners do. A lot of showrunners are afraid to because they're afraid that their job is on the line. But and Dan's job kind of was not necessarily with that moment, <laughs> that cumulative moment. But the beauty part was he just said, "All right, well then I'll leave. Then I don't if you don't want me, I'll go." And he did. And then, like I said. Most powerful. The reason I keep saying is the most powerful showrunner in Hollywood is because if you've been fired and then you've been asked back, well, you're not going to fire me now.
3: You can, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah. Good job, fucking losers. You're stuck with me
4: now. <laughs> like, you know win. what happens if I leave? You're not going to do this again, right? Game over. It's
1: that, it's that if you come at the king, you best not miss a thing. Yeah, sure. That's right. Uh, and, they, and they came at him but uh, uh they, i
3: can't i can't imagine the like hat and hands shoe in mouth approach to like yep we fired you and they can't do it without you <laughs> so <laughs> would you come back hey dan hey, it's
2: nbc dan. <laughs> um... look
1: it it, it happened and i don't know that um you know, I, I, I can't remember to what degree it was mutual. I don't think it was. I don't think Dan wanted to go. I know he was tired after three years of it. Um, you know, and, and in a way, maybe it, maybe it, maybe the fact that he got it. One way I think of it is maybe the fact that he had a, a year off, like rejuvenated him to give us five and six. Mm. Um, yeah. So that you never know how it would have turned out otherwise. But yeah, it's tricky. And, and part of me too wishes I was there. Because again, I was the one who kept saying like, we need Dan. Dan is the, he's the king. He's the key to this. And it didn't, doesn't take a genius to, to see that. But it, it, it was not – I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. And then by episode two or three, I was like, holy oh, shit. You know, yeah. he, just, he just took the script and made it ten times better and more specific. And, um, yeah, and you, you, your job as a writer and a writing staff <clears throat> is to figure out how to write in the voice of your, your boss uh, and these characters. But you can only do that to a certain degree short uh, especially with a show where um, it's so indelible that that, uh, that mark yeah that's so, that's so cool i'm just throwing out big words like indelible and
0: keen yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds great you said I, like if you're, <laughs> if you're faking it right now it's perfect
1: Yeah, keen's not a big word but it's yeah.
4: it's it's a it's a it's a high it's a high value word it's like okay. it's like whenever you drop like a two letter word with a q and scrabble it's like it's small oh. but it gets the job done oh. exactly that's perfect, um, and I
0: I appreciate you giving us so much of your of your time and telling us all of these like uh, great stories things I hadn't realized about uh, fingers up particular butts. Oh, yeah, I, you know, I I but do appreciate that. What?
3: What did I miss? Oh, Oh, we'll
0: tell you. We'll tell you about the finger bite.
3: He said don't tell him. (laughs) That's what you get, Jason. That's the secret. Cut it out of the podcast.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Just for us. Don't ever.
3: They missed it. They don't get it. That's
4: (laughs) That's
1: just... Sorry. Sorry, bud. Sorry.
4: (laughs) You know what? I'll eat
1: that. That's (laughs) honest. You deserve to know. You ask great questions. Um, And uh, I'm sorry you weren't here from the beginning. Basically, uh, it was it was the subway episode. There's a joke in that episode where the subway character we allude to the fact that Britta stuck his her finger in his ass.
4: Oh, that's what that moment is.
1: And then, yes, and and the title of the episode is "Digital Exploration of Interior Spaces," which is alluding to that. So, my digit. finger, digital exploring. Never made
4: that connection. Wow, <laughs> yeah. that is. Thank yeah. you for
1: mind blown. Possibly
4: The greatest Easter egg of my entire life. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, take that away. <laughs> I will share no, thank you guys for for the great questions and for your continued interest in the show and your podcast, which is great and i hope uh and do believe you will be rewarded with, with more of this show in some form or fashion um in the hopefully hopefully your future I'd like
3: that I ask questions you didn't have immediate answers for so what's that we have to have you back now because we asked you questions uh, you didn't have answers for.
1: That's true. I will I will get <laughs> just for those really important questions and, um, <laughs> uh, no, no, no I'm sorry, I don't remember it's like I wish I had that kind of memory, but um, oh, it's, uh, I don't remember it's it all good. Like, it's weird. It's, I don't I don't like that. I want to have this, that stuff on my fingertips.
4: I like I, I kind of like it reminds me of a quote that I love as an actor with like live theater uh, That's someone I am very fond of used to say I think they even had it tattooed on their skin they said we build sandcastles and it's kind of the idea that it's like we might not remember it or it might not exist forever in the future you know but like the fact that we did it the joy of that moment kind of exists in that time and there's there's something kind of beautiful about those things that you just you can't fully remember but you remember how it made you feel so.
1: It made me feel of- so much better about being old. Thank you. <laughs> 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 you yeah, did. We build Wait, I forgot what it was already.
4: It's we build sandcastles. It's build the sand- you know we build we as a group we build sandcastles. Right, we they're put
1: not together. they 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 serve their purpose and then they get washed away. Time
4: washes them away, and that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, thank you guys a lot. Uh thank I will you. get you to those questions. I will I will get you some of that stuff I promised and. Uh, <laughs> and thank you.
3: No, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on. You need to go make sure your kid doesn't shoot somebody with your paintball gun. Right.
1: Maybe <laughs> that's where it went. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I got to find that gun too. So. All right. Thanks, guys. Take go care. Bye bye. Appreciate it.
0: This has been a talk back podcast. That was quite a show. Very entertaining. Well he was cool. What, what a-, a nerd. <laughs> what a,
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: what I a tell nerd. What
4: you said that